Hello, everyone. I'd like to welcome you back to the Bite Size Learning Podcast presented by professional Oklahoma educators. I'm Jason Banks, the Director of Professional Learning for POE and host of this podcast. Just before launching the Bite Size Learning blog and podcast, a survey was sent out to POE members asking them what questions they have about technology in the classroom. Many of the questions were focused on distance learning plans that their districts were in the process of implementing. Now, if the questions that they're asking require a lengthy response or a demonstration of some sort, then we're going to dedicate an entire episode or a post on the blog that focuses just on that question. But some of the questions require less detail for the response, so we're going to try and tackle a few of those in this episode. The initial question we started with was, what classroom technology would you like to learn about? And so here are some of the, res- the responses to our question, and we're going to try to handle some of those responses for you. So one of the first responses we received was, how do I provide efficient grading and feedback online for my students? There are really numerous ways that you can accomplish this. If you're using Google Classroom, you can provide feedback and comments on the assignments after students submit them to you. You're able to give specific feedback at various points in those submitted assignments, and you can also give general comments in the grading tab for that individual assignment. If you want to take it a step further, you can record audio, save it to your Google Drive, and then insert a shared link from your drive as part of the comments so that students can listen to the comments that you make as you're going through the grading process. Another way to provide feedback is through the use of a tool called Flipgrid. Flipgrid allows you to create short video recordings and if you want your students can record a response to your message within the portal. Best of all, Flipgrid is free. Using a grading rubric is another option, but you need to make sure that your rubric is focusing on content, not design. One of your grading elements shouldn't be the number of slides that a student uses in a presentation. And if it is, it should be a very minimal point value because you want to put the importance on the content. So if your overall assignment is worth 100 points, then the number of slides included in there, if it's an item in your rubric, I would say needs to be just under five points overall for that. It should not be the main emphasis of what you're trying to accomplish with that assignment. Now there are many people that are shifting to a single point rubric. So if you'd like more information about that topic, check out the Cult of Pedagogy blog. It's cultofpedagogy.com and she discusses this topic in a little bit more detail. And I'll include a link in the notes of this episode. No matter what tools you have available to you, always remember to be as accurate as possible and be consistent. Do not let your personal preferences cloud your judgment when it comes to grading. Alright, so the next question submitted is a challenging one to answer. We were asked, how do you use technology when you don't have access to classroom sets of computers or your students don't have access to technology on their own? The answer to this really depends on what you have available to you in the classroom. And so with this question in mind, I'm not really sure if this question was aimed towards the distance learning side of things or in the everyday classroom. So I'm going to look at both sides of that. So in the everyday classroom, always remember that the goal of technology is to enhance learning. And in this distance learning setup, the same thing applies. Technology is just a tool. It's a tool to make your lesson better or easier or more engaging or all of those. 
you choose the tool based on what you want to accomplish. For example, I don't pick up a hammer and try to figure out what I want to hit with the hammer. What I do is determine what I want to do. So am I going to put a nail in the wall or do I need to put a screw in the wall? If it's a nail, then the hammer is a great tool for that. If it's a screw, then I need a screwdriver or a drill or some other tool that's going to be more effective for that task. Coming back to that initial question, how do you use technology when you don't have access to classroom sets? So looking at that side of it, I'm assuming that more than likely this person has a teacher computer and maybe one or two other student computers that can be used from time to time. And so if that's the case, then using something like uh, Skype to conference with other classrooms and do a mystery Skype. And so with a mystery Skype, you find a classroom in another state or a country and ask a series of questions that are designed to narrow down where the other classroom is located. These are great for geography lessons and they allow you to incorporate technology into your lesson with the use of only a single computer and a projector and hopefully a microphone attached to it as well. There are a ton of classrooms all over the world uh, that are participating in these mystery Skypes and so you can connect with them by going to education.skype.com. Now this is something that you do have to plan ahead especially if they're in different time zones. You want to make sure that you've got those connections correct and you don't want to just get on one morning and hopefully at 10 o'clock have somebody connected to do that. You want to plan this a week or two in ahead, ahead and get it on your calendar so that you and the other teacher are synced up well. Another tool that you can use is Google Earth. Now this can be used for more than just geography. Uh, you can introduce a new unit or topic by taking a trip to where the author is from or where the scientist who discovered a concept was born. You can also take virtual field trips, view the environment that you're discussing in a science lesson, or you can see pictures and take walking tours of historical sites. So those are just two options that you can do without having class sets of technology like laptops, Chromebooks, or iPads in the classroom. They just require one computer connected to the internet and connected to a projector. Alright, so coming back to that initial question, this is what you always need to keep in mind. What objective am I teaching and what available technology can help me teach it more effectively? If we focus on those questions as our primary focus for technology use in the classroom, we're going to be much better off. Always keep that in mind. And kind of a follow-up to that, if we have technology tools available that we don't know how to use, for the sake of our students, we are obligated to learn how to use those tools effectively. If you have questions about specific tools and don't have a resource within your district to help you with those, reach out to me, send a message. You can get to me through the POE website or through the contact information that I'll share later in this episode or from within the blog itself. Whatever way you need to reach out and get in contact, let me know. We'll find a way to work through some of these issues. I can try to find the information for you or help you out myself or find someone else who can. I always want you to keep in mind I'm not an expert on everything and if I don't know the answer to it, I want to find it so that I can help you out. Alright, so the next question we had. What apps can we use for real-time class discussions or learning that do not violate FERPA laws? Okay, so this one, based on the question, is focusing on like some of these virtual uh, meetings so that you can have these, these discussions with your students 
while you're not meeting face-to-face. -face. Little background on FERPA. For those that have forgotten, a FERPA violation occurs if a student's education records are released to unauthorized persons. Education records are materials that are maintained by an educational agency or institution or by a person acting for one of those agencies or institutions, and they contain information directly related to a student. When we're talking about a FERPA violation with apps like Zoom or Google Meet or WebEx, if you're careful, you don't have as much to worry about when it comes to FERPA violations because there's minimal input required for student information and as long as you're making sure that you only provide the bare minimum personal identifiable information or PII when you're looking at these so a student would just put in their first name on the display instead of first and last name then you're going to be much better off and, and run much smaller risk of having a FERPA violation. You also need to keep in mind COPA and SEPA. Those are both having to do with internet access that is filtered. Some of that you have no control at this point because they're accessing through their parents' home internet connections, but the content that is coming across to them through whatever portal you're using, you need to make sure you're taking steps to make sure that is safe so that there's not a violation there and not exposing them to material that they don't need to be exposed to. So the way you do that, if you're using Google Meet, the good thing about it is that it's contained within kind of the walled garden of your school domain. So if somebody doesn't have a user account with, from within your school domain, they can't access it. And that would be something that your district would make sure they had that set up. But your students would need to have student accounts in order for that to function properly. Within Zoom, they have over the last two weeks really uh, upgraded some of their security features. So you can force everybody into a waiting room. You can force everybody to put in a sign-in name so that you can validate them and approve them in. You can put people back in the waiting room. You can also lock the room once you have everybody in so that extra people are not getting in there. So those are all extra safety features that are built in and will help you stay compliant in those areas. All right, so the next question that we had asked, and this was more than one person asking this question, how do I gain access to my publisher's website and my other existing programs that I use in my regular classroom? Unfortunately, that's not a question that we're able to help you with. It is a great question, but it's something that needs to be aimed towards your district staff that's in charge of technology or whoever it is on staff that was in charge of setting up that program. So if it is something to do with your publishers and some of their resources, then you'll need to contact whoever within your district is in charge of that or contact your publisher directly. The way you're going to do this is going to be different for every vendor. Unless your district has a single sign-on option that's already in place. And if that's the case, then they can add that content or those login links to your single sign-on like Clever and your students can quickly get into those pages quickly and do so with just one or two clicks without needing to sign in through 20 different 20 different apps, usernames, and passwords. But since these agreements are made between your district and with the vendor, there's not a lot other than pointing you back to them that we can do. Another question we had, how do I make and share teaching videos with my students? This is something that we addressed a little bit more in one of the blog posts and you're welcome to go back to it and I'll try to link that back to it uh, at the end of this episode. 
but just to kind of give a quick summary on that one. This really depends on what tools you have available to you. There are multiple options for recording your screen or recording videos. My two favorites are Screencastify and Loom, L-O-O-M. These are both screen capture programs or software or apps or whatever you want to call them. I have the paid version of Screencastify, which gives me an unlimited length for my videos and is connected to my Google Drive. So with this tool, I'm able to share my screen and webcam at the, webcam at the same time if I want. And when I'm finished with the video, I can tell it to drop it straight into my Google Drive. I can upload it to YouTube with just one or two clicks and then share it out with my students that way. Or if I have a website set up, then I can embed it directly onto a web page. If you're using a smart board or Promethean board or one of the other interactive whiteboards, most of those have a screen recorder built into the software. And so you're able to go in and record what you're doing on the screen. So if you have a subscription to the smart board software and that's installed on your laptop or whatever you're using at home, then you can do that from there, record your screen and in some cases record the audio, then turn around and upload that and share that with your students. I didn't mention on Screencastify, but they've also added in an extra option now so that you can come back in and within one click share it to your Google Classroom. And so that simplifies the process if you have that set up already. Alright, so our next question. How do you do virtual learning or teaching with students who don't have internet or devices? Short answer for that is you can't unless you're able to find some way for them to get internet access and access to devices. So either something has to be in place within your community or within certain areas of the community uh, that allows them to have internet access or you have to have some sort of a checkout policy for hotspots or something along those lines and whatever device they're going to need to, to use to access whether that's a Chromebook or an iPad or, or whatever or laptop that your district may have available. But if you're expecting that virtual learning and the devices are not available in the home, then in order for that to happen, the district is going to have to find some way to provide for those. Now, you can still do the distance learning side of things, but you have to shift your mentality and think back to the correspondence courses that some of you may have taken in college or possibly even in high school where you would be enrolled in a class, you would have the material sent to you, the book, the assignments, all of that, and as you completed those assignments, you would turn around and mail those back in through snail mail or whatever you want to call it. The same type of principle would have to apply here if you don't have access to that virtual classroom or virtual meeting space where you can handle this. All right, so the next question we have, what are some easy ways to grade student work Quickly. There are a few options out there for you on this, and as time goes, this gets better and better due to the improved nature of AIs that are developed by a lot of these companies. Some of the textbook publishers actually have some interactive websites that they allow you to export grades from, so you can assign students some math problems and it walks them through solving step-by-step step the problem or the publisher may have a section for writing assignments in an ELA class and students respond, type it in, the AI grades it and then you can come back in, verify the grade and do all of that. So that's one option. Uh, look to your publisher and see what they have available to you and what your district may have subscribed to 
with that last adoption cycle for those books. But you also have within some of the learning management systems like Google Classroom or Edmodo or Canvas where you can create assignments, share those assignments, and if it's multiple choice, it gets graded quickly. Students get instant feedback from that multiple choice assignment. Uh, if it is something that you want to do, maybe a short answer or an extended response or an open-ended question, you can still do those and a few of those platforms actually grade those, but you've got to watch out for spelling and grammar and all of that because it gets challenging for the AI to interpret all of that accurately, but it's not impossible and that is getting better all the time. Or you can set it in some cases so that it grades the multiple choice components and then lets you grade the other components. And so you're able to mix, mix those up. All right, so the, the next question, what are some other options for video conferencing other than Zoom. So outside of Zoom, probably the most common tool being utilized by schools is Google Meet because it can be contained within that walled garden that I spoke of in one of the previous questions that your school domain is. So within Google Meet, you control who has access because you can set it so nobody outside your school domain, your school address, web address, can get in there. You do have other options like WebEx or Skype or GoToMeeting. There's also Microsoft Teams, and Microsoft Teams can be set up and made as secure as Google Meet is. So they would have to have access to that group and Microsoft Teams actually is set up so that you control who goes into that team and you invite them in. So all of these are limited to the settings your district has in place and also to the age of your students. If your students are under 13, they're not allowed to have their own account outside of special permission that's given to school districts under really tight restrictions and agreements between those companies and schools that maintain the protection of student privacy and student data. All right, so th those are all the questions that we have time for in this episode. Uh, if you have questions or comments, let us know. I do thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. Please share and comment to let us know how we can help you and others. You may leave your comments in your podcatcher of choice, so whatever format you're listening to this, leave your comments there. But to guarantee we get those in a timely manner, go to bit.ly slash bite-sized pod. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash bite-sized pod and complete the form. If you'd like to schedule a professional learning session for your school, either online or through video conferencing, then send an email to me at jason at APOE.org. If you'd like more information about professional Oklahoma educators, check out our website, www.apoe.org. You can find links to this podcast and blog under the Resources tab on the APOE website or by going to poebitesizedlearning.blogspot.com. POE can also be found on Facebook at APOE.org and on Twitter at prof.okla.edu.